Corinne Malcolm, <laughs> at long last, we've been talking to each other, just frantic and frustrated and stressed, but also enjoying a nice casual Friday afternoon together. It's so good to have you back. It's been forever since we've been able to break down races and talk shop about the sport. How are you this happy Friday afternoon? I mean, I'm good. It looks like we might get rain here in Seattle. It's kind of overcast. It feels like fall. I'm drinking tea right now. It's a pretty nice Friday. I know. I'm like wearing a fleece. I was drinking warm beverages also. And yeah, the gray has returned to the Pacific Northwest, at least in the short term. Summer is just too, too short, but beggars can't be choosers. And of course, we were just complaining about how hot it was recently. So <laughs> anyway, Corinne, so good to have you back. And uh, thanks for spending an hour with us here on Friday. Of course, to our viewing audience, we're going to be breaking down some awesome races that are happening this weekend, both in Colorado, two very interesting, but also very different races. The 100 miler happening at Run Rabbit Run in Steamboat Springs, which actually started about an hour ago there in the mountain time zone. And then also we're going to be talking about the Pikes Peak Ascent, which is happening in Colorado Springs, Colorado tomorrow morning. Uh, and of course, Pikes Peak Ascent is only about a half marathon in distance where Run Rabbit is, of course, 100 miles. So two very different events that attract very different athletes and both are incredibly compelling races to talk about. And then at the end, we're going to talk about Killian's training. Uh, he published an awesome blog post on his mountain athlete website last week that went into really serious deep detail about what he did leading up to his 2022 season where of course he won Zagama, Hard Rock and UTMB all in the space of about three or four months or something like that. Absolutely insane. Madness, madness. Anyway, and Corinne of course is our resident coach and science oriented <laughs> trail running mind where I get to just kind of be a sports bro that gets to learn from Corinne's in, incredibly powerful intellect. So we'll get to that at the end. But of course, a big thank you to Aura. Aura Ring, our sponsor for all of Free Trail Friday, big supporters of Free Trail and Trail Society. So big thank you to them. My readiness, Corinne, has been absolutely atrocious along with my sleep scores recently with a newborn. Well, uh, yeah, welcome to fatherhood. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully O-Ring hasn't captured dad strength yet. So I'm working <laughs> to try and get them to get those metrics in there. They are doing some cool stuff with the women's health um, metrics, though. Um, I don't know if you want to speak about that briefly, but. Yeah, there's been a number of FDA studies ongoing um, utilizing or ring particularly like changes in body temperature to not only track menstrual cycles, but to track fertility, particularly if you're pregnant or not. And so um, they've now, there were studies that went through essentially that said like, Hey, we can actually predict pregnancy ahead of pregnancy tests with, with an aura ring just based on body temperature, which is an old school method as well for there are probably women listening at home who are like, yeah, like we've been doing this for forever. Um, but they've also partnered with natural cycles which is an FDA approved birth control app um, to use those two things in conjunction to predict fertility and also use it for birth control, which is really, really cool. Yeah, super, super cool. So a big thank you to Aura for their support of Free Trail, of Trail Society, et cetera. Uh, and if you guys want an Aura Ring, I should have had the link in the description here on YouTube, and I'll rely on Ryan to drop that link in the chat here. Ryan, if you don't mind, please put the Aura Ring link in the chat where our viewers can get six months free subscription with the purchase of the new ring. 
And then uh, also just want to flag here at the beginning that on Monday next week, so in just a couple of days, Free Trail is going to be making some important announcements about some changes that we're going to be implementing as a business and how we operate. Uh, these changes have been a long time in the making. We put a lot of time, effort, energy, and thought into figuring out our path forward as a business, as a brand. And I think this will set us up for long-term health in our co-host, our guest today, Corinne, will sort of be playing a fairly significant role in these changes. So anyway, we'll uh, talk a lot more about that next week. So if you care about what we do, make sure you pay attention on Monday where we will sort of be making those announcements publicly. Okay, Corinne, after a long introduction, good afternoon. I think the best place to start is uh, to talk about Run Rabbit, the race that is happening right now in Colorado. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen from Addie Bracey's winning performance from last year and just allow you to give a quick introduction to what this race is to set the table. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone's hopefully familiar with, with Run Rabbit, but it's actually, I think it's its 10th year officially this year. Um, so I it's, ran it's the inaugural one in 2012. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been around for a while. I think it came under my radar because I was living in Bozeman, Montana at the time. And Nikki Kimball won one of the early editions of the race, I think in 2013 or 2014. Um, but it's, it's been around for 10 years. They've made some slight changes over time, but it's, it's always been set up kind of interesting. It's got a 50 mile kind of sister event as well that starts tomorrow, but it's got this idea of rob rabbits and hares. So the, or I guess tortoises and hares rather, not rabbits and hares. The tortoises went off this morning at, um, at 8am, I think. And then the hares all just started about an hour ago. So all of the elites, anyone in it for prize money, anyone in it for a top 10 position is, a. Uh, it has to run through the night essentially is what happens when you make people start at noon. So as opposed to that UTMB five or 6 PM start or those midnight starts over in the islands, a noon start happens a lot. I feel like on the West coast at races like cascade crest 100 as well, but I definitely think with a fall hundred in the mountains like this, it, uh, it makes some interesting weather fluctuations happen with maybe some hot solar radiation temps during the day. And then, potentially super, super cold temperatures overnight. I don't know if it was a cold, how cold it got the year you ran, but it, people get hypothermic at this race and have to drop out routinely. Yeah. And it's at a very high average elevation as our viewers can see here. Again, this is Addie Bracey's Strava from her winning performance as part of the Run Rabbit Run Hares Field in 2021. Um, of course, you start at about 7,000 feet, go a little bit below that. But then you see one of the things that I think makes it really challenging is from about mile 75 to mile 95-ish, you're above 10,000 feet. And for those of us who are watching who have run at 10,000 feet, you know that even though it's not terribly uppy-downy, there's not any massive climbs and descents in this section, just moving at a respectable pace after 75 miles and at 10,000 feet is very difficult. So a hard yeah, way to finish. And it makes eating hard. And you'll and people are probably looking at this saying, wow, it's really steep to start and really steep to finish. And that's because you're actually going up the ski area there. So it is a pretty brutal way to start a race. And it's definitely a, I would say a particularly mean way to finish a race. Um, it's got kind of an out and back section early down to fish Creek. That's kind of that first big divot you see at mile 20. Yeah. And then they climb back up and then they descend down to town. Actually, they descend all the way down into steamboat Springs to Olympian hall. Yep. Um, I actually got to watch the 
2014 men's Nordic combined relay team win the Olympics projected live at Olympian Hall. (laughs) And like most of those guys, Steamboat claims most of those guys as, as their own, even if they're not hometown guys, because they train there a lot. So I got to watch, um, watch them win on a projection, like on a big screen at that hall back in, back in 2014. So you come into Olympian Hall easy to get sucked in at Olympian Hall because I believe you get to go inside. It's nice and warm. You don't want to go back out into the night. And then you kind of do this 12 uh, mile or so kind of wiggle on the ski trails. And then you come back through Olympian Hall and then you climb back up the hill. You already came down across the top through flash of gold, which is beautiful up there by the lake. Um, And then you descend back down the ski resort to where you started uh, sometime today. Yeah. Well, thanks for that description. And it's funny because now thinking ahead, we'll probably be talking more about Nordic skiing and yeah, Olympian Hall. I can recall a a fun anecdote from when I did the race 10 years ago, coming upon Jason Schlarb shirtless in the middle of the night, sort of staggering, telling me he was going to drop out of the race, bumming my headlamp off of me because he didn't have a headlamp on him, shirtless without a headlamp. But then he rallied and uh, ended up running very strong and then took a egregious wrong turn and ended up off course by many, many hours. And anyway, a fun, uh, you know, sort of like catastrophe of a uh, memory for Jason, but he and I have laughed about it since. And also just great memories of the year that I did it again, the inaugural year, Carl Meltzer passed me at mile nine, uh, mile 75. And so I finished second. Ooh ahead of Timothy Olson, of course, the first year that he had won Western States, the two legends and idols of mine and getting passed by Carl Meltzer at mile 75 of a hundred mile race. I always joke was like reading a a textbook of how to actually execute over a hundred miles, a great learning experience for me. Before we get into the fields, let's just talk about the weather real quick. You and I were talking about this before we press record. I've got the weather up here. To me, it looks like maybe some scattered thunderstorms in the afternoon. I had got some texts from people who are on the ground saying that it was kind of wet and cold, but it looks like based on AccuWeather, it looks like it could be really nice running conditions, though probably pretty cold. And cold up high too, yeah. right? Because town is considerably lower than, as you mentioned, some of those those higher those higher miles on the course. So I, every athlete that I have that goes to this race, I say, you better have a plan for when it gets cold because it's going to get cold overnight and you're not allowed to drop out because you became hypothermic. Yeah. We can prevent hypothermia. Let's not, let's not drop out because of hypothermia. Another really important thing about this race is that you know, while, while races are coming on board with prize money, um, I do have confirmation that this year, UTMB, CCC, and OCC did pay out through the top 10 and they paid out 10K, 5K, and, th- and 3K for first, second, and third. So sizable increases in prize purses there from the race organization for those races. Um, but this race has for a long time been one of the OG prize givers. One of in the our best sport. Prize, sport, prize packages in the sport. If yep, not so the best, the, if not the best, yeah. generally paying out through seventh, although they do, there's some small print there as far as, you know, how deep the field needs to be, i.e. how many people are signed up this year. The women's field is act, was actually right on the cusp of having those 30 starters. And so my guess is that they won't pay out quite as deep, but they'll still, the, the front end of the field will still be racing for some decent prize money there. Also this year, there's a team event going on, which they have tried to get off the ground in years past. Um, I think they've done it a little bit more casually this year, but there's another 5k on the line, I think for the winning, 
male and female duo. And so I think they've made about 20 teams out of the out of the hairs participants. And I think they're listed kind of lower down on this website. Um, but you know, looking for, you know, Annie Hughes is paired up with Peter Mortimer, for example. Okay. Um, I think our teammates, team, you know, quote unquote teammates for this race, the the top placing pair will win an extra 5K. Um, I think there might be a prize for second and third team there as well, but it's a, it's, it's a, a legit huge, payday. it's a huge payday for yeah. our sport. And I think this is a bump because I think first used to be worth 10 K and I think it's just gone up, um, then it over, was t- yeah, then over it was the 12 with a course record premium. The other thing that's cool that I think is worth mentioning, Corinne, is our viewers can see here as I screen share the prize purse is that for example, the master's winner makes a thousand dollars. So they, I think they also have small payouts for the winner of the tortoise race too. So uh, Fred Abramowitz, the OG race director from Run Rabbit Run, he's always been kind of a leader on this front and uh, shout out to Run Rabbit for properly compensating the pro athletes in the sport. It's really great. And uh, yeah, they, they just like, they have that unfortunate timing that they're, they're post their post UTMB, which draws a lot of competitors. And then, you know, there are seven hard rock qualifiers, mountain, mountain hundreds in the month of September in the U S. And so there's a lot of people being spread to a lot of races. There's a big hundred mile miler or more than one going on every single weekend this month, including out East, like grindstone is going on this weekend as well. So there's lots and lots of racing going on. I just think it splits the field for where, where are you going to go race for a tough mountain, mountain hundred. Also, um, unlike many other races in the U S like akin to, you know, Leadville being one of its Colorado pairs in a way, as far as hundreds, um, where your pacers can mule for you this race, the, the hairs have no pacers. So I do think they've always been no pacers, no poles. I think this year they are allowed poles if they, if they want them, but, um, they have historically been no pacers. You can have crew, there are two drop bags that you can see each drop bag twice, but otherwise, you know, it's, it's a, a pacerless expedition. And with a long overnight section, that can be the first time some, some of these elites, particularly they haven't raced in Europe a bunch where they're going to be running solo overnight. And that presents a whole slew of challenges for people. Really, really great point. So with that all being said, I think it's time to start talking about the characters in today's race. Do you want to start with the, the women, Corinne? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's some clear standouts. Um, and I think this, these are people that you identified as well. I think the clear standouts for me are Annie Hughes and Alyssa St. Laurent. Um, Alyssa has been second here, um, before she's I think like incredible. three times she's been second yeah. here. Yeah. You know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride maybe, but she, I mean, she wins a lot of ultras. She's really tough. I've raced against her. She's a very, very strong competitor. She spends a lot of time at altitude. Um, you know, which I don't like, cause if you say, Oh, Canadian, maybe doesn't get that much time at altitude, you know, Annie racing against someone like Annie Hughes, who lives in Leadville, that could be a disadvantage, but Alyssa does spend a lot of time up high, um, in the Canadian Rockies as well. And so I imagine that, you know, she's hoping to have a good, a good race here. And then we've got the young and on a tear Annie Hughes, um, you know, a Leadville winner, a, I watched her destroy Moab 240. Last year, she's, you know, Cocodona earlier this Coca-Dona, year. Cocodona earlier this year. Um, you know, uh, Courtney recently broke her collegiate loop um, FKT. And I feel like that's even like that was a different, a different Annie mm-hmm. than the Annie we're currently seeing. Like the Annie who set that FKT, I do not think is the same Annie we're watching race um, these days. And at only 24 years old, um, that's impressive. She set a course record at High Lonesome this year, earlier in July, you know, in that, in those weeks after hard rock. So, I mean, 
it's hard to bet against Annie Hughes. She's a woman whose stock I think is going up um, pr- pretty exponentially in the in the field. So Annie Hughes and Alyssa Saint Laurent were were notable standouts in the women's side. I think other standouts include Katie Arnold, who I mean fan favorite over here, maybe um, maybe one of the most like relatable humans in the field, a mom. Um, gets in training how she can, when she can, wrote a beautiful memoir, uh, has won Leadville. We can't like pr- pretend that she's not also an ex- exceptionally talented runner. Um, excited to see 50 years what old she has. 50 years old, excited to see what she puts together here. Um, Maggie Guterell, maybe other fan favorite. Um, also in the field, having having done Hard Rock earlier this year. And then the other person that really stood out to me, and this is only because I have inside inside beta, is Jenny Pierce. Um, out of Montana. I actually trained with Jenny um, and part of that Nikki Kimball running crew when I lived in Bozeman. And she's she's been around the scene for a long time, but it's not a name that a lot of people will recognize. She's incredibly talented. She won. There's this inaugural race this year in Montana called the Crazy Mountain 100. Um, and she threw down a outstanding time on the on a very new, very challenging 100-mile course. And so Jenny Pierce is kind of that other person that I think will be someone who surprises out there. And I'm just curious to know what that ends up looking like. Fantastic. That's why Corinne is always a great co-host, bringing the little nuggets and the dark horse up and coming underdogs that could have their breakout performances here. I remember, I think it was last year that Dave Stevens won the men's race, a Canadian who I had never heard of before. And uh, I think he's sort of had a little bit of trouble ever since last year's race in terms of race performances and training and stuff. But there's always surprises in this era of trail and ultra running. So yeah, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of men and women in this field that are under 30 years old. So people that might not be as well known um, to to the hundred mile world. And so I'm really I think that there there are very likely going to be surprises yeah. out there. Um, Emily Caldwell was a name that came onto the scene last year, running, running a really good race, um, here at, 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 uh, run rabbit last year. Um, she blasted the field at URA 50 earlier this year before, I think not having the day that she would have liked at UTMB, but she's a mountain person that, you know, I, who came onto my radar because of run rabbit last year. So it's a race that can definitely help bring you into the scene. Um, so to speak. Yeah. Great. So maybe just to round things off, I don't have much to add, but I've got the community picks from the fantasy, uh, platform here that I'm looking at. So I'll just tick through a couple of names that we haven't mentioned. Mary Bowman or Bauman from Boulder, Colorado, no relation to yours truly. Michelle Kent from Golden, Colorado. We mentioned Katie Arnold and Tara Dower from North Carolina. Rachel Lemke from Blacksburg, Virginia, a couple beast coasters, Sarah Ostazuski from Flagstaff and Ann George from North Carolina were in the community picks as well. Moving on to the men, Corinne, who are you looking at? Arlen's Darlins? Are you team Arlen's Darlins? I am definitely team Arlen's Darlins. I think that this is him stepping out of his comfort zone a little bit while, while Run Rabbit is not a technically challenging course. Like the stuff in, in and out of Fish Creek is rocky for sure. Um, this I think is him, him stepping out onto a tougher course than what he traditionally runs. I think that this will be, you know, potentially, even if he wins, even if he has a great day here, his slowest hundred 
to date, just right. historically based on times, um, running through the night. And so I think there's a number of challenges that he is stepping into that I'm really excited to see how he handles them. He is incredibly solid. I got to, I, I was crewing a runner next to his crew at Havelina last year. I mean, he, he dazzled all of us at Western States this year. I would like to say that I am an Arlen, an Arlen's darling, but I do, I'm really intrigued to see how he'll handle the altitude, how he'll handle the overnight running. Um, and what like what that will look like yeah. for for him out there because I think he is phenomenally talented and he's teamed up with Alyssa Saint Laurent for the team challenge so that could be a, a nice could be a, a nice added yeah. and also like maybe that team challenge also motivates you to like keep pushing because you you are kind of working for that other person out there too yeah what a good point yeah I have to admit that I underestimated Arlen Glick at Western States looking at his past performances of course they were all very impressive but as you mentioned he is specialized in the flatter 100 mile races and coming to what was certainly the densest and most competitive 100 mile race of his career at Western States I had him ranked well down on my fantasy team but was very happy to see him put together a fantastic sub 16 hour performance on the Western States course his first time you know, on the podium at sort of a big championship level race and also at the podium on the podium of a race that is outside of his wheelhouse in those flatter hundred mile races. And this will again be a challenge echoing what the point that you just made beyond, uh, Arlen, there's still a lot of, really Oh, there's fantastic- still, there's good. It's, it's not going to be anyone's day to run like just yeah. to run away with it. You've got Mark Hammond, who I think has been, you know, a, a a regular, a regular visitor to the podium here at run rabbit. Um, you know, very, very talented knows this course knows how to run, run hundreds in particular. I think Mark Hammond will be someone, um, someone that will be a hard, a hard person to beat out there. Kyle Curtin, I think kind of falls into that mix for me as well. Um, Obviously, once again, proven at the 100 mile distance, has some experience on this type of terrain, this type of race. Um, I think there's some other people, though, that are a little bit less well known as well. Like, um, I think Nick Elson is coming up for folks, but he's a Canadian, another Canadian, Canadian stud, really, really exceptionally good climber. uh, like, you know, almost a VK specialist in a lot of ways. It's kind of continuing to to grow in distance. you know, he is, is phenomenally like talented at the, the sky running discipline. Um, so to see him take a big swing here at, at run rabbit could be, could be really, really cool yeah. to witness. One of those quiet mountain assassins. He, I recall was on the Canadian ski mountaineering team at one point. Yes. Yeah, like Squamish guy. Yeah. He's a very good, like rock climber, scrambler, Type guy. In fact, he has or used to have the FKT on the Grand Traverse of the Grand Teton, of course, in Wyoming. So the type of you know mountain athlete who excels outside of pure running specialty, but who can also ski very well, who can rock climb, who can scramble, who can manage himself in dangerous technical high altitude terrain, even though he lives at sea level there in Squamish, British Columbia. I was looking at your fellow Seattleite, Mr. Rich Lockwood. In fact, oh my goodness, he's actually, I've got him written down on this piece of paper. I should have it underlined and highlighted and circled because Rich Lockwood is not going to be on people's radars outside of the Seattle area. And he is fit. He is phenomenally talented. And he is experienced in these mountain mountain races. He had a great run at Tushers earlier this year. 
Um, I think that he is ready to like totally shock people this weekend. And I always feel bad, like shining. I don't feel bad. I, I, I worry shining a spotlight on someone that I'm going to somehow jinx them. Um, but he's already running. So I can't jinx him at this point, I think. Yeah. And I think I was texting him actually earlier this week saying that I was excited to, to cheer him on. And I think that this could be, you know, as we said, this race catapults people onto, onto, a mainstream radar sometimes yeah and it's yeah. like rich has been around for a while but he like he deserves to be on people's radar and he is not yet there and i think this could be a huge a huge potential like yeah. weekend for him yeah he was second at gorge waterfalls and just one of those again like nick elson the quiet assassins who everybody in seattle knows but who few people outside of Seattle really knows. So this could be an opportunity for Rich to make a name for himself like Dave Stevens did last year. Beyond that, you know, just to give a few more shout outs before we move on, just so we don't take up too oh, much time. Things that we'll forget. Avery Collins is in, is yep. in it after having COVID pre-UTMB. I think, I feel like he was missed in some of the preview material. Um, I think Avery's hungry for a good race. Um, and then Anthony Lee of the the Boulder area, who had a standout performance at Canyons earlier this year. I think those are two Nearly guys that are, missed his golden ticket at Canyons. Oh, he's going to be like, hungry. yeah. And I think he's like really coming into his own as a runner. I feel like his like he has just been progressing yeah. and progressing over the last two or three seasons. And so um, Avery and Anthony could be looking to upset some people out there. Yeah, fantastic. So winding down the run rabbit conversation, just a couple notable scratches. David Sinclair is not racing. He is also not going to be racing the Pikes Peak races. I think I have that on good authority. So David Sinclair taking a well-earned break after a fantastic season that he's had so far. Also, Alex Nichols will not be racing a past champion here. Craig Hunt also listed as a scratch. And then just one final name who will probably be flying under the radar is Jim Rebenak, who I think won this race or has been on the podium a couple of times, a very consistent Colorado hundred mile ultra runner. So keep an eye out for him. Corinne, the Pikes Peak Ascent is happening tomorrow. This race oh. is completely ridiculous. So maybe I'll just tee you up to explain why there's so much competitive depth here at Pikes Peak, especially in the ascent this year. I'm losing my mind looking at the start list right yeah. now. Like it's, it's 30, 40 people deep. Yeah. But, you know, maybe we should enlighten the audience about what brings the depth here this year, that being the Golden Trail World Series. You want to just give a quick primer on that? Yeah, 100%. While there have been national series going on, i.e. like the Quebec Mega Trail and Broken Arrow were part of the, the North American Golden Trail Series, um, the International Golden Trail Series, um, which is races like um, Zagama, Sierra Zanal, historically, um, Mont Blanc Marathon, you know, like these heavy hitting deep races, a race in Norway this year was part of the series. Um, and, and basically people are competing to get to go to the, the finale, which is generally a stage race, um, somewhere like the Azores at the end of the season. And this year, the golden trail series fully came to the U S for, a for kind of back-to-back -back weekend stops. That's generally how we can get the, the Europeans to come to the U S for any, for any sport, mountain bike, world cups, skiing and biathlon world cups. You say, okay, we'll race in Utah one weekend and we'll race in, you know, British Columbia the next weekend or whatever it might be. So that happened this year with the Golden Trail Series where Pikes Peak Ascent this weekend and Flagstaff Sky Peaks next weekend um, were both tagged as as part of the global series. And they uh they're they're showing up in force. The the American list is deep, but oh my goodness, the the international field 
lining up this weekend on both the men's side and the women's side is absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And it should be said that the all uphill style of racing is much more popular in Europe. I put up a tweet yesterday sharing my fantasy team with the question mark, is this the most competitive all uphill race in history? I still am not convinced that it's not, but I did get some clap back from um, some of the European (laughs) commentators and personalities in the sport saying that, no, there's been a lot of VKs that are this deep, but certainly this is, if not, but this one, is more than a VK. I like, know, yes, VKs right. are deep, but this is this is an uphill half marathon. Exactly. Like this, like stretches the field a little bit. We got some VK specialists in the field that we'll talk about here in a second, but yeah. this stretches the field a little tiny bit. Yeah, and to provide some perspective, typically for VKs, the men will usually run around 30, 31, 33 minutes. Women usually five or ten minutes more than that. So this is going to be at least you know, roughly two fifteen or two and a half hours for the winter. So much, much longer, but still an all uphill race, which is, I think, very interesting in terms of our prognostication about the potential podium performers. Before we get to that, though, let's take a look at the course. This is my good old buddy Galen Burrell's Strava from his third place performance at last year's Pikes Peak Ascent. Galen is a former Pikes Peak Marathon champion, and he says here in the comments of his Strava, this was his 13th Pikes Peak race, so somebody who has a ton of experience on the mountain, so a fun Strava to look at. And as our viewers... high. Talk about high. high, We said Run Rabbit was high. Look at that elevation profile. Which is probably going to be one of the complicating factors for our European runners and something that we'll want to monitor as we start to talk about the characters in the race. But yeah, as our viewers will see here, it starts in downtown Manitou Springs, just outside Colorado Springs, Colorado. And then it runs straight up the bar trail all the way to the summit of 14,000 foot Pikes Peak there in southern Colorado. You see how sort of the first six miles or so go up a little bit more gradually, it looks like. I've actually never run the Pikes Peak Marathon either in the race or on my own. But I think right around here is where Zach Miller (laughs) lived for many years, famously in (laughs) bar camp. And then above bar camp is when it gets a lot more, I think, you know, steeper, more, um, you know, high altitude, more sparsely used trail all the way to the summit. But of course it's a well-worn path. And I think Corinne, one of the things that would be fun to talk about is just the the history of this race before we go into the fields. I just did a, a little bit of, you know, research just to refresh my own memory, but I think this is important to talk about. The Pikes Peak Marathon started in 1956. So it's been around for forever, ever. And of course, as is the case for many races, I don't think women were allowed to run until later, which of course is a embarrassing looking back, but a lot of rich, rich history, both on the men's and women's sides. And for our viewing audience who may be newer to the sport, one Mr. Matt Carpenter, who is, I think, a little bit before your and I's time in the sport. Corinne, do you want to maybe provide a little bit of knowledge or perspective on Matt Carpenter I specifically? Mean- he has he has course records that have been n- nearly untouchable at, like in and around Pikes Peak. I mean, Leadville was one of his like shining shining moments as well. Just an, a standout in the Colorado running scene in particular. And then I think my favorite thing about him though now is that I've been told by people who who know him well in the Colorado Springs area that you know he's when you run into him on the trail he may, like kind of comes off as a little bit grouchy, but he owns an ice cream store. 
I think he still owns an ice cream store and he is the happiest person you've ever met when he is inside his ice cream store. And so they're like, that's, that's the Matt you want to meet is you want to go see him at the ice cream shop and, uh, and, and get a treat. So I think that is just like, you know, two, two chapters, everyone, everyone, you get, you get a couple chapters in life and his, his next chapter was an ice cream shop. And to me, that's like really, really awesome. Yeah. An absolute legend, legend of the game who again was before, my time, but one of those people when I found trail running, the person who was worthy of falling down rabbit holes to learn about and get inspired by, he won the marathon, Pikes Peak Marathon, 10 times, and he won the ascent six times. And one other just fantastic anecdote from history in 1993, he ran and won and set the course record in the Pikes Peak Marathon running three hours, 16 minutes. That record still stands almost 30 years later. Next year will be the 30th anniversary of that course record. If in fact, it doesn't fall this weekend or next year. And in that race in the Pikes Peak Marathon in 1993, he also set the Pikes Peak Ascent record in the same race, which also still stands two hours and one minute, Matt Carpenter ran the 13 miles up to the summit of Pikes Peak. No one's ever come close to that. And he ran that during the marathon race in 1993. Absolutely legendary stuff. So that is, and it comes up every year too. You know, it's one of those things that comes up onto people's radar that has to be talked about. And I, I think that that is always kind of, that is a fascinating piece of that, of that history there. Yeah. And like, just, just for perspective to compare Matt Carpenter to current day, Matt Carpenter, that being Killian Jornet, Killian's never come within 11 minutes of Matt Carpenter's course record on the Pikes Peak marathon. So one of those mythical figures who, like Corinne mentioned, owns an ice cream store now as he approaches his sixties, uh, still living there in Manitou Springs. So, which is perfect. That's perfect that you have that, that you have that amazing balance. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about the field. Maybe, uh, start with the women and yeah, just the sort of tick through um, whoever I mean, I'm so deep 20, 30 women deep. I think notable scratches are important. Grayson Murphy is a notable scratch. Janelle links is a notable scratch. Um, Janelle, I think is healthy. Um, she's been doing a bunch of circ series races and, and running well. So I, I don't think it's an injury. Um, but she's not starting this race. Grayson has been struggling with an injury most of the season and, and racing very selectively. Um, she's based at a Flagstaff right now. So maybe that means that she decided not to do this race and is doing Flagstaff sky peaks next weekend, which wouldn't, would make sense. Wouldn't be crazy. Um, but is is a notable scratch from this weekend. And I think is an unfortunate scratch because I would love to see her in this field as like one of the best uphill athletes in the world. Um, I think having, having her missing from this field, you know, like, is is unfortunate oh, like, is a little bit sad oh it would add such an interesting new dynamic so hopefully grayson is healthy indeed and maybe racing next weekend but too bad she and janelle won't be on the start line that being said their absence does not oh. make the field uninteresting so talk no, about not the, the rest at- of the characters yeah so you've got um maud matthews people will know from the sky running series um recently uh joint won the vk at sky running world championships um, like 10 days ago, two weeks ago, um, her and another woman crossed the line together. Um, she has been deemed, you know, she seems kind of untouchable in the golden trail series, but she hasn't been, you know, people like Sarah Alonzo, young Spanish runner has kind of put that to the test. Um, Ninke Brinkman, who you've had on this podcast or not, you know, on the free trail podcast. Yep. So, so talented, um, must have an engine that is, you know, 
three times her size. Um, really excited to see her on the start line this weekend. Um, Blondine, who just won CCC, is currently on the start list. And I'm wondering if that is if that is the case, because that's an interesting um little, you know, little bubble there. Um, Sophia Lockley, who came on to our radar, um, at least the running world radar. If you're a Nordic nerd like me, you, you know, you know the name, but um really threw down at at Broken Arrow and has since, you know, won, won a Golden Trail Series race in Norway as well. Incredibly talented and, you know, lives and trains at altitude. So that is an advantage um, for someone like Sophia over over the rest of the women's, uh, at least the international women's field. Allie Mack. You can't forget about Allie Mack. Local. Um, you know, local has the has the ascent of Manitou Incline record. Um you know, has, has everything she touches has turned to gold almost besides OCC this year, where she, you know, led for the first 45 kilometers of a 55 kilometer race. Um, and like still had a grin on her face when I saw her the next day. So Allie Mack, um, has, has a lot of experience here on this course in both the ascent and the marathon. I already mentioned Sarah Alonzo, MK Sullivan, um, craft athlete out of Reno was the former coach at UNR, obviously talented, um, Kimber Maddox had a great race at OCC is in this field. Bailey, uh, Kowalczyk, who it like had a kind of a late a start to her season. season. Yeah. Yeah. Had a late start to her season, but is having an excellent one. Yeah. Had a great run at Sears and all. Um, she is someone who I think is climbing really, really well right now. She's got the Mount Tam, Tam Hill climb course record. Um, she lives and trains in Colorado at altitude. So I think that, you know, she could really, throw down on the ascent. Kim Dobson, as I think some was brought to your attention, yes. should not be, should not be slept on. She's someone that people are not going to maybe she, her name probably isn't as shiny to the international field looking in, but what people like her, her ascent times here are just absolutely baffling. Yep. So like Kim almost Dawson, untouchable. Yeah. So I've got it up here. So let me just count how many times she's won the ascent. She's won Nine. the ascent at seven? least seven times, yeah. including having the course record in two hours, 24 minutes, which is silly, silly fast. So, and yes, you're right. When I put my fantasy picks up online, it was, I was inundated with comments about how people are sleeping on Kim Dobson, who of course should not be slept on. Um, you know, so. and, and still be behind these women, we've got Tabor Hemming, Anna Mae Flynn, yeah. um, Rachel Tomazic, who did really well at Broken Arrow and has done well at other golden, like North American golden trail series. You've got Ingvald Kasperson coming back after taking some time off to finish up medical school in Norway. Um, I just, she just did a tune up 15 K the other week. Very, very talented. Um, you know, scrolling down, I think kind of beyond that, a, a potential surprise for people is uh, Jessica Yeaton is on the start list. She's a, a Nordic skier, um, kind of splits her time between Alaska and Bozeman, Montana, um, represents Australia uh, on, in the Nordic skiing world, but she is a um, Mount Marathon winner. Uh -huh. So don't sleep on someone like Jessica Yeaton, who also has been, she just finished a PT school in Albuquerque. So she's not a stranger to high altitude in running. In so. Aussie, Alaskan, Montana, New Mexico, Albuquerque. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she, her partner, her partner is um, David Norris, who oh, I don't okay. think is racing yeah. um, this weekend. But Multiple if he was, he, champ. Yeah, yeah, he'd be uh, someone that you'd want to keep an eye on. I don't think he's racing this weekend. He's been racing the Cirque Series a lot, but Jessica's name yeah. is on the list, and that makes me excited. Yeah. Again, I told our viewing audience we we're going to be talking about Nordic skiing and Nordic skiers in today's live stream. So thank you for that. Deep yeah. analysis, Corinne. I don't really have much to add on the women's race. I think, you know, you ticked off all the 
most uh, compelling characters, but it is so interesting and so deep. And unfortunately, Pike's Peak is the type of place that doesn't offer great cell phone reception. So rather than getting to watch the fantastic Golden Trail World Series coverage, I think we're going to be kind of relying on maybe Instagram updates from the Golden Trail World Series account rather than getting to watch all the drama play out live tomorrow. Moving on to the men, Corinne, you want to just, I, maybe oh. I'll, I'll set this up real quick because I think there's a very important uh, detail that we should mention. That being, you you mentioned that Ali Mack holds the record on the Manitou Incline, a legendary test piece there in Southern Colorado for our viewing audience. The Manitou Incline is an old railroad tie that gains 2,000 feet of elevation in one mile. And one Remy Bonet, the Swiss powerhouse, came over to Colorado and on his first try took Joe Gray's FKT on the Manitou Incline, I think just yesterday or the day before. And uh, I'm casual, I'm, 17 minutes, 17 minutes, 25 seconds. Took, that is took 20 so seconds fast. off of it, took 20 seconds so, off the FKT. Silly, so silly fast. fast and at altitude. So who knows? Remy may be, you know, have been doing some secret acclimatization back home in Europe, but I'm pretty sure this is going to give Mr. Joe Gray some huge motivation. Again, a multiple time champion of the Pikes Peak Ascent. With that being yeah. said, I'll tee you up. Go ahead and yeah. talk about the field. I mean, I think that that was your, your spot on there that, that Remy is, you know, clearly on form notable scratches in the men's field though, to start David Sinclair, as we mentioned, is not in this or run rabbit this weekend, Darren Thomas, another notable scratch. We'd love to see Darren Thomas racing and racing. Well, um, Kiernan Ney, notable scratch. Um, I think those are the big ones. Um, Chris Fargo though, like our, maybe our personal, our personal insider fan favorite, um, is a scratch as well. So when's he going to make his comeback? I don't know. He's, he's got, he's got dad strength. So we, I I imagine we'll see it here at some point. Um, a name that I'm not super familiar with is on the top of the, like has the highest UTB UTMB index for it. And it's, um, Polish athlete. Um, wow. I'm not gonna be able to say his last name, Bart, Bart. we'll just call him Bart. Bart. Um, that's easy. That's straightforward. Um, he's part of the golden trail series and he's been throwing down this year and has the UTMB index score to go with it. He is currently the top ranked man in the field, but you know, like you're coming to Colorado Springs, you're coming to Joe Gray's territory. Yeah. I want to say, you know, Joe Gray has to be, has to be a favorite going into this. He, he rarely loses. Right. Yeah. No, Bart is a very interesting, compelling character. And you're right that he appears at the very top of the fantasy.freetrail.com rankings because of his UTMB index score viewers who have been around and following the golden trail series for a while. will remember that a couple of years ago is actually, I think, 2020 in at the end of the 2020 season they went to the azores for the golden trail world series final and bart actually beat jim walmsley over the course of that five-day stage race and uh i think that contributed to a fantastic utmb index score i'm pretty sure that's i mean a good that's a good way to get us index yeah, score purely speculating I, i'm not entirely sure he's great as a pure uphill athlete you know potentially next weekend's race in flagstaff would maybe i think he's got his... downhill mad downhill right. technical running speed is yeah. kind of his thing i think Still so this might really, not be really good athlete great to see him racing in the u.s for the first time yeah, great to see a bunch of really talented athletes racing in the U.S. One, I think maybe your favorite person on the start line might be Rui, Rui Ueda, the Japanese skyrunning athlete. Love um, Rui. He recently was at the Skyrunning Worlds. I think that was once again like 10 days ago, two weekends ago or so. Um, 
he's someone to keep your eye on here. I'm, you know, what will the altitude do? I think next week in Flagstaff might be more his scene, but super talented. Um, uh, Francesco, um, hard to miss had a, had an early season hiccup with a, with a broken elbow. Um, but is back running and running well, it looks like. And I do think that he has the makings of being a very talented uphill, uphill specialist in a race like this. So curious to see what he looks like during this race, but he'll also be going up against, um, one of my teammates, one of the Adidas Terex guys, Danielle, um, Daniel, um, Ozans of Spain. Very, very talented VK runner, very, very talented uphill athlete. So we'll be curious to see kind of, you know, what our uphill guys can do in a race like this. Eli Hemming and Andy Wacker um, have raced each other incessantly along with Cam Smith and Sam Hendry all season. Yep. And Morgan Elliott is in that mix too. They've raced each other a lot this year and we're adding them plus a bunch of international athletes to this list. Um, I'm trying to think of any other big, I think Cam Smith is, I mean, of course he's sort of like on the, but he's an altitude guy, right? Exactly. He lives advantage for him lives at 9,000 feet in Crested Butte. And he's a, just a freak athlete. We saw him smash the broken arrow VK. He won the 26 K at the rut a couple of weeks ago. I think he was second in the VK behind Eli Hemming at the rut. Also, so I don't know. Cam Smith He's is definitely a person who might creep team. up at the end of the race yeah. as things get hot. About you know, once once you're above ten thousand, eleven thousand feet, I think that that's where he's going to feel really at home in comparison to a lot of the international guys that have come over. Um, I think those are the big, the big like yeah items I was looking at in the yeah. men's field in particular. There's some other guys that are all part of the Golden Trail series that I know less well. Um, I'm curious to see kind of how they mix it up there, but they're coming into a heavy hitting group of American guys for yeah. this race in particular, who are all altitude boys. The last mostly, n- mostly Colorado boys. Yeah. I just wanted to also give some love to <laughs> Sam Hendry, a name that you just mentioned, but a young up and coming athlete who I think could be a rising superstar in the sport. He introduced himself to me at uh, broken arrow a couple of months ago. He's been crushing it on the Cirque series. I think he and Sophia Lockley are teammates at uh university of at Utah, Utah. Yeah. as Nordic skiers, the theme of today's live stream. So watch out for Sam Hendry excited to see how he races on the mountain tomorrow. Okay, guys, this is some proper sick late season racing happening this weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed that analysis from Corinne and myself as it relates to Run Rabbit Run and the Pikes Peak Ascent. Again, Run Rabbit is happening now, uh, so you can follow that on their website. There's a link to sort of some live tracking. Not sure if people are out covering it on Twitter, but then also tomorrow, Pikes Peak Ascent. I would suggest following along on the Golden Trail World Series Instagram, which you can search and find easily. Let's close it down, Corinne, with a fun conversation about the article that Killian wrote and published this week about his training. I'm just going to step back and let you use your science and coaching brain to maybe pull out a few pearls of wisdom from it and share them with the audience. But maybe maybe to tee you up, you were saying that it's not that complicated. It's not that groundbreaking. So maybe explain why you think that. Yeah, I guess my biggest thing, people have asked me a lot about this over the last 10 days or so. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I didn't think any of it was earth shattering or surprising. Um, you know, he's a seasonal athlete. He spends a lot of his winter on skis. Low impact means you can do longer volume, 
Um, he's made some changes to his training due to doing, due to being a dad of, of two little girls. Um, he and his partner, Emily have to split some of their time a little bit more methodically. You can't just both ghost the kids for six hours. So he's had to be a little bit more methodical, I think with some of those bigger days in the mountains, which has led to more doubles. Um, but I saw his training and I said, yeah, he trains like a Nordic skier. He yeah. trains like a cross-country ski athlete. The the hours track people were blown away that he put in like a thousand hours or something. Yeah, that's that's he's been doing that typical. for like fifteen years. Yeah, and that's pretty typical at like the World Cup level, the international level for for Nordic ski athletes. Collegiate ski athletes will be putting up as much as seven fifty to eight hundred eight hundred hours in the U.S. Some and and once again, akin to running, some athletes need lower volume, some athletes need higher volume, um, but but skiers in particular and cyclists do this to a degree too. get in tons of volume because they do truly easy work Yep. as runners who maybe only run six to 10 to 12 hours a week. Um, you know, we can, we can fudge it a little bit. We can run a little bit harder, um, on our easy days. You so can't do that, that when you're training 20 hours a week. Explain that because I think this is really important to highlight and dive deeply into because, Killian did an analysis of the time that he spent in different heart rate zones. And yep. his conclusion was that he spent nearly 60% of his time training in zone one, which would be sort of like the lowest intensity of exercise. And you're mentioning that it's just low volume, or I'm sorry, low intensity, high volume to build the aerobic engine. Why is that important? Yeah. So zone one and, and zone and zone two kind of are are fairly similar. They're both below threshold. Um, so they're, they're both predominantly aerobic. Um, what that does is it kind of creates the base of your pyramid, right? Like it's really hard to build a foundation without having, without having that endurance space there. That being said, there've been terms thrown around, like, um, I think aerobic deficiency syndrome, which is not a real thing, um, thrown around from, from actually people that he works closely with, um, with uphill athlete. It's the idea that, it's, it's, while it is an interesting idea, it's not technically a real thing. Just a lot of us fall into it because we go too hard most of the time. Ah. Um, so zone one, zone two, really, really aerobic, particularly zone one real, you know, very, you know, it's, you know, it's conversational. Yeah. It's, it's, you're not breathing hard. It's, you could probably breathe through your nose. If you, if you're, you know, thinking about it type of thing, you could sing if you were thinking about it. Um, it's very easy movement. And a lot of that comes on, on skis. You can maintain this for all day. Um, you know, you're going to have bits of time when you go uphill or something, or maybe your heart rate creeps up a little bit, but it's very controlled and it's very easy aerobic work. And that is the bread and butter of, of Nordic ski training as, as well. And I think we see that on the bike too. And because you're doing a low weight bearing, um, sport, a low impact sport, um, by being on skis on the bike, you can do huge volume. It's not for everyone. Um, everyone, like there's still an, an individualized component here, but that's super, super common in, in those spaces. And so, I like, once again, I'm not shocked. I think the biggest change for him was that he added in more intentional threshold work, um, things that he was doing outside of racing, um, before I think he had lower, lower upper end work because he, all of his intensity came from racing predominantly. Um, so that, that was a bit of a change, um, where he had intentional, intentional intensity added in. Um, but I otherwise, thought that was fascinating. So just to, yeah. just to emphasize that one of the things that Killian said 
is that earlier in his career, really until he had children, and I think his kids are four and two now, but one of the things that he said was that until he had kids, he didn't really do a lot of structured intensity in his training, but he raced like 30 to 50 times a year, both on skis and on foot. So he would do a lot of aerobic work, probably pushed occasionally when he was feeling good. But then every week or so he'd have a race intensity workout. And ever since he's had kids, he's raced a lot less and therefore needs to build that structured intensity into his training. Awesome. Yeah, which all, which makes sense if you're an ultra endurance athlete though, too. Like how many times do you race a year? Two, three, yeah, three four, five, less than yeah. maybe six. <laughs> if you're doing a, a 30 K or 50 K and you're build somewhere, but yeah. that to me is the, the big difference there. And, and you're right. People who ski though, too, and who aren't, you know, who are racing more, um, or runners who are doing shorter distances, you are racing more. So you can be, that yeah. maybe doesn't have to be quite as intentional for the, like a year round training scope, but um, it becomes really, really important. Yeah. If you look at, he has a really great, um, image that he, that he puts up in his article, like in his blog post, um, where his like winter block, which is, you know, is long is, is all is like all zone one work. Yeah. You know, it's all really easy work on skis before getting more specific. So, and to our viewing audience, I linked to this article at the top of the chat. So feel free to click on it and read it. If you haven't, it's definitely one of those things that belongs in mountain sport history museum in the Smithsonian, uh, Killian Journey's deep catalog of his training. We can all learn something from it. Maybe one last point, Corinne, on this that I thought was interesting that I'd love to get your take on was how he structured his specific season this year. Of course, those who might be something that no one else can pull off. Right. But I think this is fascinating, you know, so he started at Zagama in May. Then of course he did hard rock finished fifth at Sears and all one of the few blemishes in his entire career. While having COVID, had COVID. And then of course he won UTMB. But what's interesting about that is that it's races from 30 K to super hard hundred miles. And so one of the things that I thought was interesting that I'd love to hear you talk about is the fact that he was keeping high volume, but never doing super long runs. Uh, meaning he was doing doubles many days. So he was accumulating still a lot of training volume, but he wasn't going out for a lot of those like long, slow slog type endurance days. Any comments on that? Well, you also have to remember too, that this is not Killian's first season of training. I think it's really easy. A lot of us get caught up in this pattern where we're like, well, what was What has the last six weeks looked like? What has the last 12 weeks looks like? And it's like, well, Killian's been an, an athlete for 20 years. Right. And so I think that that is context is still important. Even, even when you're looking, when you're like zooming into that nature, you got to zoom back out and look at like the big, broad, broad picture there. And so I think it's like, I think you have to do what works best with your life right now. And so by keeping those runs shorter, they're probably higher quality. They're a different stimulus though. Like replacing a four hour run with two, two hour runs is not the same stimulus, even though the hours are the same, like the way you feel are different. So that to me is like an interesting component there. And I think it just probably elevated the quality of those sessions, given the parenting demands that he now has. I think that without those parenting demands, I don't know that he would go to all doubles, Yeah, you know? And, and I think he'd still be as good as he is right now yeah. is I think the, is like the take home point there is that he is kind of a freak and kind of an anomaly. And I think that it's easy to be like, 
you know, oh, this is, you know, we all have to do doubles now in order to to be talented. The thing I love about him is that he is a freak. He is an anomaly, but he also puts so much thought into what he's doing and he's willing Mm -hmm. to experiment. And yeah, you have two kids now. You're not 22 anymore. You have to figure out a new way to do it. And here now he has a hard another his fifth hard rock victory in course record and a new course record at UTMB to show for it using a totally different method of training. It's fascinating. And again, I would highly recommend everybody go read this article. David Rochart also wrote kind of a good recap. A good summary. Yeah. 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 I think it's helpful because there's a lot of jargon thrown around in training stuff. And and David does a good job of trying to describe how, how some of that jargon has trained as changed rather over time, as far as like, what do, what do these zones equate to? Yeah. So, so cool. And it's, yeah, I think we're all very lucky to be living through this Killian era. And it's really great that he's willing to be an open book with everything that he does. And it's always great to, to chat with Corinne to help educate us. So I think that's a good place to wind down, Corinne. Thank you so much for joining Free Trail Friday. It's, you know, it's been too long since we've gotten to get on the microphones and riff a little bit. Um, and to our viewing audience, again, as we wind down here, just want to uh, extend a invitation to pay attention to what we announced on Monday. We would certainly love your uh, attention and support as we sort of move into what I'm calling chapter two, chapter two, hashtag ta- chapter two of free trail. We'll explain more about what that means on Monday. And also in closing, I want to say a big happy fifth anniversary to my lovely wife, Harmony Bowman, who I love Aww. dearly, the mother of my son. And, uh, we're going to actually we leave almost the baby. share a, we almost share an anniversary That's our right. one year is on, our one year is on sunday yes love is amazing so happy anniversary to harmo we're gonna leave the baby with grandma for an hour tonight and go have a glass of wine and get some food somewhere so it will oh. be nice and then i'll be glued to the internet to see what happens in these races all weekend so any uh closing words corinne anything you're up to this weekend um, yeah, speaking, speaking of anniversaries, we're going to go or and take the doggo out for a little overnight, um, backpacking trip when Steven gets out of work on Saturday, he's working in the cardiac ICU right now. So we're going to go, go to the mountains, just walk in and have a little camp out and come back home on Sunday, but just excited to, yeah, to be home. I was in Europe for a long time, excited yeah. to be home, excited to be in it with all of you and can't wait to share more next week about what we've been up to. Yes. Fantastic. Thanks again to Corinne. Thanks for everybody for watching. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Peace out.